Hey, hi, hello, y'all. This is RB, your Midwest morsel dealer, welcoming you to another episode of Take the Last Bite, a show where we take Midwest nice and slip it into the back pocket of a ballsy billionaire so it can go on a journey to whatever life-defying choice that billionaire makes next. On today's episode, we resurface a conversation from our sixth annual transgender justice teach-in that we hosted back in December that grappled with the unique and ethereal experiences of fat, trans, and non-binary folks. But before we get into that, there's a few key things that have taken place in fat culture lately that I think are really relevant to the chat you're about to listen to between myself and the panelists from last year's transgender justice teach-in. I've had a recurring convo with a good friend, Robert Alberts, who you can hear from in some of our season one episodes, such as the Midwest Nice episode, about how we were essentially raised on fat phobia. In other words, some of our earliest memories of being taught to be uncomfortable with our fat and growing bodies came from the homes and families we were raised in. So I was really interested and excited to learn about a book that was just released this year called Fat Talk, Parenting in the Age of Diet Culture by Virginia Soul Smith, who hosts weekly conversations about diet culture and fat phobia on the Burnt Toast podcast. I first heard about the book while listening to NPR and was really drawn to what Virginia mentioned about the messages children receive growing up about fatness, how it upholds white supremacy, and some other really fresh and necessary points about how we indoctrinate youth into the harmful confines of diet culture. As someone who has two nibblings in my life under the age of 10, knowing there's a timely resource about parenting in ways that don't replicate the diet culture we all know and hate is really useful. I've definitely added this book to my to-read list. Um, and there's some info about the book and the interview Virginia Soul Smith did with NPR in the show notes of this episode. There's a video clip going around right now of a fat, trans, 22-year-old woman talking about how she could get any man she wanted sexually. And as she's speaking, the camera person pans to all the other people sitting around the table for this conversation who are looking at her like she's absolutely out of her mind. Looking a bit further into the backstory of this little decontextualized clip from social media, I've since learned that her name is Allie, she is a self-proclaimed certified baddie, and she was one of several guests for an episode of a show called The Whatever Podcast, which appears to cover literally whatever, and this particular episode was about dating. In the full episode, Allie goes on to talk about how it's quite rare that she finds a man who genuinely wants to take her out on a date instead of being fetishized and desired for sex. One of the hosts straight up asks her if she's sure about that, and Allie receives zero affirmation or head nods of understanding from the other women who are all presumably cis at the table. Imani Barberin, also known as crutches and spice across social media, and as someone who educates on the concept of desirability politics, stitched a clip of Ali's comments on TikTok and talked about how she became aware of the ways blackness, 
fatness, transness, and disability, among other things, can be fodder for fetishization when she was as young as 18 years old, when men in their 60s, 70s were offering to fly her out to see them. Imani makes it clear that Ali is 100% correct in the assertion that she can fuck 90% of the men she meets, but that finding someone to date involves a lot more. I think both of these recent moments in fat plus size culture speak to how much we collectively still require in order to undo our nasty, obsessive repulsion of being perceived as fat. Fat folks are seen as victims of their own shortcomings, as lacking willpower to not eat as much or as being lazy. It's hard for a society to see how fat folks are being mistreated when we've built a society that blames fat folks for being fat, therefore blames them for being mistreated for it. The answer to fat folks saying we can't find clothing that makes us feel good, sexy, comfortable, is apparently, well, stop being fat and you will find clothing. The answer to fat folks' plea that our healthcare systems are killing us is apparently, we'll stop being fat and the healthcare system will stop killing you. The answer to fat trans folks' demand that we be centered and supported in navigating transitions, social status shifts, and claiming of transness is apparently, you have to follow this narrow prescriptive model of being trans in order to be trans enough. Since December 6, 2022, my brain has been buzzing with the vibrations of the incredible conversation I had with three cherished friends and colleagues in the work, Shane S'more, Dr. Jonathan Higgins, and TK Morton. Together, we dug into the crevices and fat rolls of what it means to view the world and move through it as fat, trans, and non-binary people. We acknowledge that we could not recall a time where this particular intersection was the focal point especially not from a place of extracting lessons, holding joy, and sitting with what potential fat, trans, and non-binary people have in guiding our movements and change-making. If only we could actually take up the space we're always accused of taking. In the words of guest Dr. Jonathan Higgins, the fats are talking on this episode of Take the Last Bite. Why can't we be in space with hundreds of other queer and trans folks and having these necessary conversations? When it comes to dynamics around privilege and oppression and around identity, well-intentioned isn't actually good enough. And how far is too far to drive for a drag show? I don't know, we're in Duluth right now. I would straight up go to Nebraska, probably. <laughs> if you are not vibing or something's not right, or also like there's an irreparable rupture, you have absolutely every right to walk away. Definitely going to talk about Midwest nice, and if that's if that's um, as real as it wants to think it is, Midwest nice is white aggression. That's what it is. So hey, hi, hello, everybody. My name is RB or Rose with a Z. I use they/them pronouns. I am the director of programs for the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity, as well as the coordinator 
for sexuality and gender equity initiatives at the University of Minnesota Duluth, where it is very cold and very snowy today. Um, I want to welcome all of you wherever you are to the sixth annual uh, Transgender Justice Teach-In. Um, the format for this uh, event has looked a bit different in its six years, but the whole um, purpose every year has been centering the knowledge, experiences, and liberation of trans, non-binary, and intersex people. And so we are continuing that um, objective today. Uh, for the past three years, the teach-in has been a partnership between my office at UMD as well as the Institute, um, pretty much prompted by COVID when everything went virtual and with the resources and opportunity um, we had at the Institute to be able to offer a virtual webinar panel style format. We have been continuing um, that model for the past three years, which has actually kind of opened up more opportunity for folks literally across the nation to ch um, chime into this conversation and participate. So I'm super excited about continuing that partnership um, and bringing folks together that maybe wouldn't have gotten in the same room otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so let's see here. Um, so I wanna chat about why this topic um, today, right? So uh, part of it is selfishly, um, as a fat NB person, um, I thought we deserved to have this conversation. Um, and so I got, uh, got going on thinking about how to curate a really intentional um, conversation with other uh, trans um, plus size fat folks, however, um, whatever language folks use, which we'll get into. Um, and it also felt, vital in this moment thinking about just everything that's going on whatever the everything for you is right um to kind of come together in our shared context of of an ongoing global health pandemic that has revealed oh so much about our healthcare systems and related systems we'll get into that too um thinking about continued mass protests related to a, a variety of injustices such as police violence um, student loan debt, uh, pandemic responses, and a slew of other things on a very large and also localized scale. Um, and also just the continued rapid fire legislative attacks on trans folks that just feels almost like a daily occurrence at this point because it's so nonstop. Um, and so just holding all of that in this, in this context of, you know, who do we defer to? Who can we extract lessons from? Who knows uh, a thing or two about how to guide and lead and give direction in this moment um, that overlaps with a lot of issues that touch all of us related to um, mental health, health and wellness, um, fashion, function, design, desire, all of these things, right? Well, it's, it's fat trans and envy folks that know a thing or two about these things. And so this is why um, the focus is on uh, that intersection. And I am oh so jazzed about the folks um, that I get to share space with today to tuck into that. Um, before I get um, into having our panelists introduce ourselves, I did want to add as a housekeeping note for folks um, watching the live stream today that you are able to drop questions in the chat uh, whenever you feel fit. Um, we will build some time in to answer any like longer form questions that you have for panelists towards the end of our planned conversation. But over the course of the conversation, if there's language or um, acronyms perhaps that we use that you're not clear on, you can drop those clarifying questions in the chat 
and our moderators will work on getting you a quick answer. Um, and if there's not a quick answer, we'll tuck it towards the end. All right. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. Okay, so I'm going to have folks um, introduce themselves with uh, who you are, um, what are some things that you do, um, and then also if you can share a story um, that a brief story because we have you know plenty of time but only so much time and it's going to go fast um, that illustrates either how you discovered that fat isn't a bad word or um you know a time that you gave yourself permission to exist fully in your fatness whoever would like to start go for it Tristan you start <laughs> why did I feel like that was going to happen um <laughs> hi, hello um my name is Tristan or TK I respond to either um my pronouns are Z Zier and Zers. um I am currently um the director of the LGBTQIA Resource Center at the University of California Davis I know that um my team is currently watching so hi hello um well uh what else do i do in life um i'm just i'm just vibing i'm just vibing um i'm also a soon-to-be graduate of a master's degree um from stony brook university um which i'm also very excited about um so yeah i think um for me like the first time that I realized that like fat wasn't like a bad word was I think like um was a very specific cultural context so like um my mother was born and raised in the Midwest my dad was born and raised in the deep south specifically Greenwood Mississippi and so I I learned I knew from a young age that like being fat wasn't a bad thing it was more seen as like a sense of pride and a sense of wealth um I didn't realize that at the time because I lived in a tiny little midwestern little town um and got very much um what's the word I'm looking for um I saw a different view than what my family was viewing, right? Um, but I had a lot of um I had a lot of folks in my life that were like, yeah, this is fine, but I had to work through it like, you know, as a young, as a young um black woman at the time that was discovering my identity. But I would say fully that I'm able to like exist is was when I got top surgery in 2017. Um at first I was like, I don't know if I like this, but I went to a surgeon that specifically knew um, that I couldn't have the same body type as like a thin person when getting surgery. And it was probably one of the most affirming moments in care, which I will talk about a little bit more later, but um, I thought it was really great. And now I'm engaged and I'm planning a wedding and I went to a plus size bridal store um, and found a dress and it was also a very affirming moment. And so I feel like those are like some, mm -hmm. some instances um, because now I'm like, yeah, this is fine. I'm fat. I'm trans. I'm queer. It's great. Um, and, and now I feel that it's just been a culmination of like my experiences, but those are just some little tidbits. So yeah, I was so excited to be here. So I guess I'll go next. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. So Shane's clapping. So I'm like, hey. Um, so with that being said, hi, everybody who is watching uh, near and far. My name is John, also known online as Dr. John Paul. Uh, a little about me. I like to say that I am um, <laughs> I am the person that loves to come into the room and shake the table, honey. But no, really, I, I love to um, I, kind of my moniker and the thing that I've been using kind of to explain what I do is I always like to say I'm um, writing slash creating the things my ancestors didn't get to and so really thinking about the ways um how do i how do i use my voice and my experiences and my knowledge and my education um to really amplify other voices so whether that be in media whether that be in the classroom i teach full-time um, i also write i am currently on contract with uh prime timer we'll be covering a whole bunch of different shows and we're going to talk to do a bunch of different things. So I'm, I'm always everywhere. Um, and sometimes I feel like nowhere at the same time, but all that to be said, um, you know, kind of what I think for me, kind of what really shaped kind of this whole, wow, girl, you just really need to love you and your body, you know, at the same time. So back, I think it was actually in 2018, I was going through the process with Kaiser to get bariatric surgery. And I did the 10 classes and I had almost finished. And when I got to my ninth class, you know, this is the class where you start talking to the actual person who's going to be doing your surgery. Um, I was actually starting to come into like my non-binary transness at the same time too. I was starting to play with more, you know, feminine clothes. I was getting my nails done. I was starting to wear more makeup. I was doing a lot of things to really just kind of embrace the idea that femininity wasn't a bad thing. And as I was having the conversation with, you know, the person who was getting ready to do my surgery, the way that he kept talking to me was as if I, um, you know, we got to be careful that you're going to put the weight back on. You got to be careful that, you know, this, and it just felt like it, it didn't feel like they believed that I would be able to successfully um, stay thin. And then there became this conversation in my own head who are you doing this for? And I really had to sit with that, that, you know, at that time I had just really started to break into media. I was in rooms with a lot of thinner people. I had companies wanting to work with me that were telling me very openly, we don't make anything in your size. Um, you know, it, there were all of these different things. And I just said, this is a lot and I'm not happy in this process. And I think that was kind of the first you know, window. So when they called to schedule my surgery, I just told them to cancel it. I said, I'm actually okay. I'm going to go ahead and cancel the surgery. I don't want to do it. Um, and they were like, are you sure? And I'm like, no, I'm very sure. And ever since that day, I think it really helped those 10 classes really helped me understand. It's so interesting because, you know, those classes are supposed to teach you how to eat better and how to take care of yourself. And all 10 classes are just the classes of hatred. They, they, they really, affirm and push this idea of fat phobia. And that's what I walked away from that experience with. I was like, wow, these classes are not teaching me how to love myself or, or, or be one with my body. They're teaching me to hate me and to be even more like to police my body in a way. And I said, well, I'm already being policed as a trans, you know, as a non-binary trans person, why would I want to do this in this process too? So um, I think that that for me really kind of opened my eyes. And that's when I really started writing about my journey to loving my body and really helping other people. And as you all know, now I have a podcast that I talk about it very openly and things of that nature. But all that to be said, I think that experience, you know, specifically is what really helped me kind of garner what true fat phobia looks like and how it's pushed and how it starts within the medical industry. Mm -hmm. That was a word, John. Uh, <clears throat> and I think just thank you for 
sharing that story, story and trusting vulnerability in the space. I think that's hard to do. And I think I'm just very grateful for hearing that. And, um, you know, I'm happy to introduce myself. My name is Shane Smore. I use he, him, his pronouns. And, you know, a little bit about me is I, 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 I started plus size trans guy. I was like, do I talk about uh, my work as a recruiter? I'm an HR professional. I do recruitment, um, but don't want to talk about that. I want to focus a lot on plus size trans guy and the work that I do in that space. And I live in the Midwest. I identify as a trans masculine person, a queer person. I am married for just a little over a year. I've got two cats. I'm a cat dad um, and I'm fat and I'm plus size. And uh, I'm still learning to love that about myself, but I really, I do, I think it's a a lifelong journey about acceptance and, and radical acceptance about a body and, and how we navigate our world in a body. But I, this question really threw me off, RB, because I was like, oh my gosh, it was like one story, one pinpoint. I was like, how do I think about my journey as like a 30-year-old fat trans person who is white and queer and navigate all of that into a space of how did I learn to be where I'm at? And I can't really, TK, I was so grateful you shared what you shared because I couldn't think of a time where I really learned that fat isn't a bad word. I think I never thought fat was a bad word until I started to have to fight or push back against what health practitioners were telling me, what fashion was telling me, what friends and beauty standards and all of these other things were telling me. And it's still at that point, I never thought it was bad. I was just like, why am I always having to push against these pieces that I never thought I had to. And it's just like a constant battle. And um, I think it wasn't until I started Plus Size Trans Guy and really started getting connected with more people in the fat community and the plus size community to really understand the politicalness of what it means to be fat and how to navigate and unpack fat as a bad word. So that isn't a story, but I will share why I started Plus Size Trans Guys, because I came out as trans when like Tumblr was the way and the truth and the life about how you learned about queerness and transness. Um, and I remember just looking on Tumblr, trying to read people's stories. And I was like, all I don't see anybody that looks like me. I saw a lot of white trans people and I can relate to that experience, but I saw so many thin people sharing their journey about surgery, about hormones and their pictures. And I was like, I'm never going to look like that. I've never looked like that. I'm not going to look like that. And that is not my truth. And I, really struggled to find myself in the trans community at first. And then I started recognizing kind of this intersection of like transness and fatness, probably about two years into my transition where people were like, wow, you're just, you're really fashionable. You're stylish. You can, you really know what you're doing when you put together an outfit. And I was like, why are you so surprised why are you so shocked all the time like can fat people not be fashionable can trans people not be fashionable can masculine people not be fashionable and and just all of those intersections and I said I'm going to start plus size trans guide to create a space that I never had and it wasn't you know I never thought it would reach the amount of people that it did I really did it as an opportunity for me to normalize and accept my body and my fashion and showcase that and provide resources and support to maybe my friends in the community and their people. And I took a top list binder photo and a little speedo many moons ago and it took off and it's kind of come to be what it is. And um, I take that responsibility really seriously because I feel like it was the first opportunity where we started to create a space and I created with, with so many 
people and help to, to say it is okay to be fat and trans and it is okay to show your body and to accept your body and be in your body as a fat, queer, and trans person. And so, you know, that is the story that I think about how I came to be where I'm at as who I am today. It's just incites so many like emotions at the same time, just like affirmation, but just also just kind of like frustration, just because there's so many, I, I, the quote I just wrote down, like in thinking about, especially like John, your story and Shane, yours as well, but just ultimately across the board experiences that like the mirror, the things being mirrored to us is a lie, right? Like the things that we are told or the things that we're supposed to see and consume as like, well, this is the goal. This is the aspiration, right? Whether it's um, surgery regarding weight or it's surgery regarding transness or it's depictions on social media, right? Like what is being mirrored back to us is ultimately a lie. And that to pursue that lie is also really faulty. And I think that just is this really unfortunate undergirding factor from what I'm hearing from like these stories, but also that there's this inherent kind of pleasure and sigh of relief that comes with realizing that the mirror is a lie to say that like I don't need that and actually I can see past that because I can actually see myself in the weird little fractals of this broken mirror that you're trying to show me love and metaphors so just like I'm feeling just really just kind of like just so ooh, there's just goosebumps happening already and we are 20 minutes in so just again thank you I don't ask simple questions I really like to get into the depth of things pretty quickly and so I know that that question was probably a, a hard bite and something that just we don't maybe are prompted to think about all that often either just because we don't get to talk about fatness <laughs> like all that often either so just like all of the things all the things um so I want to I wanna kind of go down the pathway of what in many ways y'all have kind of already started to touch on with kind of the intersections of just gendered experiences and pursuit of like, what does femininity mean? What does masculinity mean? What is, what is gender, right? Like just what these, what are these things for us? And I um, had a question that I posed to y'all in advance of this that is inspired by an essay from an anthology called Fat and Queer, which I also highly recommend um and the essay um, is by Caleb Luna and it is titled the gender nonconformity of my fatness which just as a title is like hello um and in the essay uh Caleb talks about how their fatness arrests their gender and also talks about these um interactions with other people that were problematized by strangers' assumptions about their gender based on their body size um, and shape. And so I'm curious for y'all, um, in what ways does your fatness um, interplay with your gender? Again, simple questions. Well, I think I'll start. I, I think, you know, um, and I do want to acknowledge, I know I see one of the questions and when we get through these questions, I'll answer the question that I saw come through. I just wanted to make sure that folks don't feel like I'm skirting past that question um, that came up in the box. With that being said, kind of going back to your thought, this notion of arrest um, and problematize, you know, I, the, the the only thing I can think about is, you know, I, so I have these two very flowy uh 
I don't, I, I don't know what I want to call them. They're kind of like caftans. Um, and I notice when I wear them, how people's response to me is, yes, girl, like work, you look good. Oh, even like, you know, it's just, it, it's very interesting how um, I don't think people recognize that they're microaggressions, but they are. Um, the way people, you know, treat you in terms of like looking at you in, in terms of policing, what restroom you go into when you have on something that's more feminine, right? Um, the idea that sometimes I'll go to do things and I can see people looking at my nails, right? Like they, this idea of folks not being able to place me, if that makes sense. And I think, you know, specifically too, like when I'm in like, a cold and I'm in the plus size section and I'm looking at, you know, a sweater or I'm looking at a shirt, right? You can see women looking like, why is this, you know, quote unquote gentleman in the women's area, right? And it's like, why don't you just mind your business since you're not paying for it? Um, but I say all of that to say that I just think that, you know, the it, it kind of all comes back down to this notion of, you know, and we talk a lot about this in all of our, the facets of our work, the binary has really put so many people in these very, very insular boxes. And I think that when you start looking at fatness, right, and even thinking about the clothes that are made for fat people, whether it be gendered or not, um, the idea, and I love that you mentioned this, Shane, right? I, it's so interesting when people go, you look so good. And it's like, what I was not supposed to as a, as a big girl? Like, what, what are you trying to insinuate when you make that claim that, oh my God, girl, you look so good. Like, what am I supposed to do? Wear sweats? You know, it's, I, I, I just think that they're so many ways. And I think, you know, I, I kind of go back to this, right? I think that there's this notion of, I heard someone say this slash tweet this, and then I'll throw it to you all. You know, someone had said, um, I always get offended. It was a, a bigger person had said, a, a bigger trans person. You know, they said, I always get so offended when people say, you look so beautiful as if I'm not supposed to feel beautiful because of my size or because of who I am as a trans person. And so I think that's the arrest, right? There's this, this connotation, this ideology that bigger people, whether they be trans or not, are not supposed to be happy with who they are because society has made it feel like slash seem like we're never supposed to be happy people. And, you know, I don't know about y'all, but I'm always, I mean, if even on a bad day, I'm still having a good day, right? Um, and so I think that that's, that's the thing. Like, I, I, I just feel like there's this question that always kind of sits behind us. Why do you have the audacity that you have to love yourself both as a trans person and as a queer person and as a trans queer fat person, right? Like why? And, and, and I think media plays a big role in that. Again, the word amazing. Um, this reminds me actually, um, so I sometimes dabble in content creation. Um, what I mean, sometimes I actually do mean sometimes because I think like the last post I made on TikTok was like two weeks ago after not posting for like seven months, but I, I have what I, I considered a viral video to other people. It's not, but to me it is, but it was a viral video of me showing off my top surgery scars because another fat trans person had never seen someone, um, who was fat that got top surgery. Right. And got it while they were fat. Right. Um, and I, most of the comments were like really positive, but they were all along the lines of like, oh my God, you're really brave for doing this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I, I get the sentiment and going back to why, um, uh, John Paul said, it's like, 
why why am I brave for doing this? Like, why is this a thing? Like, I'm just honestly, that's I'm doing the bare minimum. Barely that. Um, and I think it's really interesting because especially um my contacts of like being, I not only was like in like see see policing of like my body as like a black trans person, but I saw it as a flat black woman. And so uh, that is something that is also like a part of my journey that I'm rediscovering. I'm like, yes, I'm trans. And I also like have these in-depth experiences as a black woman. Right. Um, and for me, it was really um, like both of them seem very different in how it was like um, I was seen um, like I was basically told to make myself shrink. Um, a lot of the time, um, whether that was personality wise, whether that was my physical presence, what have you. And I'm like, I'm not that type of person. Um, even at a young age, it's what I, I was just a loud bombastic little kid. Right. Um, but it played out in the sense of like how, like the world viewed me, even though I didn't view myself that way and let a lot of that influence kind of take me over as well as how, um, how hard it is for, um, fat folks in general, but especially fat trans folks to, um, find that sense of like self-love, um, and being able to be like, yes, like I'm going to walk through this world and be grand. Also really quick commenting on like, um, the fashion side of it, trying to find clothes, like knowing the fact that most of us, we have to buy all of our clothes online. We're supposed to be hidden. We're not supposed to be in public, like a public figure, like any of these things. And I think that, um, like John Paul, like you said about like media and all of that is it plays a part as well as the cultural implications within various communities as well. And so I think this whole thing is like really interesting. And I'm like, I'm like, hi, I'm here. You know, I'm going to exist and you don't want me to wear this cute little crop top and I'm going to, and it doesn't matter because it's my body. So I don't know why you're caring. Um, even if it's like we like we wear the bare minimum, the folks are just like, this is like the most revolutionary thing. I said, girl, I just bought this at Target like like two days ago. Like, you know, it's fine. Or, oh, this is just something I picked up off of my floor and I was like, mm, it's good enough. I'll just wear it out. It's fine. But I feel like it's this sense of like we're supposed to be invisible and we're not supposed and we're supposed to move within the shadows and not um be seen as our full selves um within all of this which i'm like a we shouldn't do that and b like that's not that's not reality like we we're going to exist whether you like it or not and for me i'm just like you know i'm not gonna yuck your rant yum don't do it to me you know it's a good grand time i just think a pause for that tk that was so good um <clears throat> and i oh there are so many things just kind of flooding my thought process from just such that this is such a healing conversation for me. And I'm just so grateful to be in the space with y'all. And I think for many of us, these conversations feel so isolated. I think like we're the, the fat person in the friend group or we're the trans person in the friend group or we're the fat trans queer person in the friend group. And those experience can feel experiences can feel so isolating. So it's just healing to be in this presence. Um, for so many reasons. And so when TK, something that you said just stood out to me about the fact of we're not supposed to exist. When I think about arrest, confinement, when I think about P 
people's comments on our bravery, on our existence, on our shocking beauty and fashion and presence. I think about we are not supposed to be here. I think that says so much about our perseverance when we haven't had to be or when we shouldn't have to be, our resilience when we shouldn't have to be. And I think, you know, our existence breaks that arrest for whatever they're trying to, to place on us. Another piece that really came up for me was a piece of passing, right? And I think around transness and queerness, but particularly transness, there is a pressure for, for valid reasons for a lot of people specifically, I would say black femme trans women or you know femme people, non-binary femme people, there's an essence of survival. But I think there's a real pressure from that that comes to you know, this idolized idea of what society expects a man to be or a woman to be. When you come in as trans, there's this pressure to, to meet that 100%, probably 110% more than what you navigate, um, you know, when you come out as, or before you come out as trans. And I think about, for me, you know, the minute I came out as trans, people were like, oh, you're going to be in the gym. You want to be a fit guy. You want to do all of these things. You're going to wear like a lumberjack plaid and chop down a tree and be fit. And whatever those people on TikTok, when they squish watermelons with their thighs, they're like, that's going to be you. Uh, you know, maybe I'd rather be the watermelon on some cases, but not, not the person <laughs> doing other things. But my my point around that being is there's this real pressure to not be how you are. There's a pressure to like be on this journey to be something else and something that is harmful. And I think from um, or can be harmful depending on who you are. And in a lot of ways, I think we see our health providers, like I talked about, or strangers or people who try to put this confinement on how we're supposed to be and use health or use well-being or use desire or use these other pieces of our everyday life really as weapons against us of like, you won't achieve, you won't have, you won't do these things because you're fat and you're trans. And, you know, I think about how that impacted my journey as a trans person. I felt the need to really look like this fit, flat-chested, buff, you know, white trans guy when I came out. And that was a lot of the pressure that I felt. And I think as I've gotten older, I've, I'm coming up on I, almost nine years on testosterone, which is like a wild piece of my journey. But, you know, nowadays, particularly around the pandemic and since I've been at home, I'm like, I don't want to wear a binder sometimes. So I'm like, I'm going to go out to the grocery store. And what does it mean to have like a, you know, a, a lumpy chest as a trans person, as like a trans masculine person and to not wear a binder and to not feel like I have to be bound and flat to be valid as a trans person. But I'm always weighing, I feel like it's a constant way of pros and cons, right? I go to the grocery store and I'm like, I don't feel like wearing a binder and like, you know, this is my chest as it is. And it is a trans chest. It is a man's chest. It is a masculine chest, but I'll be grabbing like my chia seeds and I'll see somebody looking at my chest, you know, if I have like a low cut shirt on or a zip up. And I, I ultimately think about what does that mean for how people perceive me in the space? What does that mean for my safety? What does that mean for what people are reading about me? How are people perceiving me? Um, and, you know, sometimes that can be internalized or sometimes it's very real. And I think who's to say just because it's internalized, it's not real for, for us. And so I think... I don't know, that doesn't really land on a point, but I think as I've as I've continued my journey as like a fat trans person, I've started to really break apart 
all of these confines around passing, around what a body is supposed to look like as a trans person, what 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 is a body supposed to look like in general, and what does it mean to just exist with starting to learn what your body needs and giving it to it and finding acceptance in how your body is in that space. And so um, those are little pieces of how it's interplayed with gender. I know that, you know, doesn't land on a firm point that you might want RB, but I hope it drops a little bit of, a little bit of gems there. I want whatever you will give me. So I have no, <laughs> that was splendid. Um, I, I'll add just cause I, I am here too. And I have thoughts um, that I think that that piece that especially you Shane named, but ultimately everybody named like this, the perception of other people. And I think it's wild that like, those folks don't think we know, <laughs> right? They don't think we know at the moment. And they also don't think we know that like every space we enter, we're taking that inventory, we're feeling, we're kind of feeling it out for those, those looks, those lingering eyes, right? So I, I think about my experience as someone who is also in a relationship with a fat trans person um, and how that interplays so much with folks' perception of what um, what the arrangement of our relationship is, right? And so depending on the space, you know, I'm also, I, in addition to being fat, I'm also very tall. My partner is quite a bit shorter than I am. He's generally a more smaller framed person. Um, and depending on spaces we're in, his queerness can get very easily erased based on folks' perception of him and also if he's with me and vice versa. If we're in primarily cishet spaces, my queerness and my gender um, can get erased or reconfigured in those spaces. And so it's kind of this perpetual weird pendulum of kind of trying to coexist as two people who have our own respective complexities around our bodies and our fatness and our queerness and our transness but then you put the two of us together and it just creates a whole nother like shit show of just gender fat fuckery that just like folks cannot cannot figure out and it gets really complicated in fact like he'll tell folks you know who have never met me oh blah 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 my partner my partner and they automatically assume that he's with a man right? Just like without ever having met me, right? And so just the ways that folks will go through these mental gymnastics to kind of place and push because they can't configure and, and just thinking about how much not only does the, the gender expression play into that, but how the size and shape of your body and the fatness of your body just really, really contributes to that as well. And I think about how how it can get messy especially in trans spaces where there is oftentimes in my opinion right this over eager push for trans like biomedical transition that the assumption is that well if you have dysphoria you can fix it by modifying your body right for some folks that's entirely true and it's life-saving and it's valid and right the the conversation around it and sometimes the overemphasis on it can get really messy especially for like non-binary folks who have no interest um in biomedical transition and i worry that in addition to that how does that what message does that also send to fat trans people to say well if you're unhappy with it if your dysphoria or dysmorphia is caused by your fatness well you can just fix it as though the size and literal amount of space your body takes up can just be like you said tk shrunk down to fix your incongruence with your body either based on gender and or based on being fat is messy and it it don't like it deep breaths um which 
we've blamed now media, we've blamed cishets, we've blamed the person in the grocery store aisle. There's a lot of blame to go around, honestly. Like it's just, that's just where we're at. And so I think this pivots oh so nicely into um, our next question, which which is another big one. So it is, um, what has our current moment and our current moment being some of the context I offered at the beginning of our session, right? Global health pandemic, anti-trans legislative attacks, mass protests. Um, what has our current moment further revealed about the treatment of fat trans and non-binary people? Um, and what does it show about the work moving forward? Well, I guess going with the theme of me starting, um, I'll, I'll, I, when I saw this question, I immediately went to a conversation I was having um, with a peer the other day. And I was just saying that what it has shown me in the, what, two slash going into third year um, is that people don't care about us. And and what I mean by that is that um, you can't, I, we can't talk about this conversation. We can't talk about transness, fatness, you know, black, we can't talk about any of that without talking about intersectionality and the oppression that that's present. And I think it's so imperative for me to mention that because I feel like the pandemic or COVID or however you want, however you want to talk about it, because it's still here, right? Um, it impacts us all at certain, it's, it's so many different levels, right? So you have it impacting black individuals from the standpoint of no one's doing anything to, to help with racism or the injustice. And then you have fat people who are clearly saying that, you know, COVID and the precautions are going to impact me because if I get sick, then I won't have the care. And then you have, you know, trans people saying, well, if I do get sick and I'm fat <laughs> and I try to go get care, I'm not going to get the, the proper care. So there are all of these levels that I constantly keep thinking about as we're talking about kind of everything that has happened in the last three years. And the only thing I can kind of sit with and, and maybe I'm maybe I'm 100% right maybe I'm 100% wrong but from my purview as a black queer non-binary slash trans person it really feels like so many people don't care and what I mean by that what I mean by that is I see a lot of selfishness, right, that, that's happening. And when I say that, it's the notion of, well, I don't want to wear a mask because it makes me uncomfortable, or I don't want to wear a mask because it's hot. I don't know if we could cuss, but I would say for me, bitch, I'm always hot. I'm so now, like, you know, I <laughs> because if I get sick and I go to the doctor, I'm going to have to fight three or four doctors to get them to actually take me seriously as a trans person to get the care that I need. Let's talk about it. So I think that there's this, this thing of, you know, the, the, we can't have this conversation or we can't posit this. This is like, I guess where I'll leave it. We can't talk about this without having a real conversation about what privilege looks like in the scheme of things for people who, and even, and I say privilege, not just from like a white, white supremacy or white supremacy concept i say privilege from the idea of people who can get quality access to care to people who do have a really good job and have health, good health insurance people who know that taking time off is there for them because they have pto i tell people all the time if i get sick i'm a freelance i'm freelance if i get sick you know, I, I literally can't work. <laughs> I don't have PTO that's going to come in and pay my bills. So I, I, I think about, you know, even hearing friends share stories about flying. And I know I'm probably talking a lot about COVID, but I'm just thinking like if we're talking about 
everything related to COVID and the ways people have responded, but we're talking about the injustice, we're talking about all the things that we've seen in the last three years, it just feels like, (laughs) I guess the only way I can really say it, it really feels American, very self-centered in the ways of people only thinking about what's convenient for them and not taking a moment to think about the different caveats and the injustices that marginalized people have to negotiate and navigate when or if COVID does, or any sickness for that. So. I was just going to say, Dr. John Paul, you said it. I mean, there's, I mean, there's just so, I don't know what else I can add other than what you just beautifully shared. Um, And I mean, I think the only thing that came to mind for me is, I don't want to bring it back to capitalism. We were talking about capitalism before it started, but that really, I mean, when when we think about it, I think about, I was thinking in the shower before I got ready for this. And I was like, if we could focus on accessibility, if we could prioritize people and humans and needs and listening and compassion and individual approaches to what people need and the care that they need or what, what, you know, any of those pieces, I don't want to go down to on a rabbit hole, instead of prioritizing money and prioritizing, you know, we, we all live in the space where we need to prioritize money to survive, but I'm talking about big corporations and the other pieces. When we prioritize that, people's health and safety and well-being are just thrown to the wind, particularly fat and trans people and many more intersections of those identities as well. And I think what I take away from every decision that has been made in the last two to three years, but really you could bring it back all the way to 2014 and before that in so many ways around how people talk about what we're navigating as a society is let's prioritize the money, let's prioritize the quantity, let's prioritize impact versus comfort, rest, need, and well-being and what people need to be able to achieve those things. Um, cause I don't know, I, I, many of my times I think as a fat and, and trans person, I feel too complicated for people to care about. And I think people have made me feel too complicated, too complex to care about the things that I need to feel well and cared for and safe. Um, and yeah, I don't, that's where I'll leave it. So. This is, this is so good. I have so much to think about. <laughs> So I'm like reflecting in real time, just like, I'm like, ugh. y'all, y'all are amazing humans. Um, I think the only thing that I will add is, um, I think, um, like I agree with everything that I said. And I think about to, um, all of the fat trans disabled folks that have been telling us this for years, like that's been saying this for years. Right. So I think about, um, again, a very big, I, I love TikTok so much um to a point where i feel like it's a little unhealthy but there is a creator her name is amani crutches and spice who i love iconic talks about all talks about communication within disability within her within her identities as a black woman all that stuff so i think about that a lot as well as i think about one of my friends um whose name is uh uh t banks uh based out of madison wisconsin who is a flat, a fat black trans man and disabled uh, artist, right? Um, 
who talks a lot about um, in, in his work, um, how his fatness, his health has impacted his identity um, and how at the end of the day, the people that are gonna be thrown under the bus are black, are, are, are gonna be fat uh, trans folks, um, especially black and brown and indigenous trans folks and trans women and femmes, right? And um, it shows at the end of the day that if it is for the betterment of, of a privileged identity, they will do whatever they want to, to, to like y'all have shared, to have to build a level of convenience, right? Um, I even think about um, to even how um, this like pandemic has like shaped me and shaped a lot of like my friends and my community, um, and how that also um, um, that also comes in aligned with how I view like rest and what that looks like too. I feel like. Um, as fat folks, like uh, fat folks, if they rest, they're just seen as lazy. And I'm so sick of that. I'm so sick of it. Um, and, um, my fiance, um, um, and I, we, um, we're, um, very hilariously the exact same size, um, which I, I don't want to say that they are plus size or fat. That is their choice to decide what that is for them. But we're the same size all the way down to our shoes, right? Um, which again, I lucked out. I lucked out there. Um, but um, even when we met like in the pandemic and we're trying to navigate that, like we talked a lot about like, um, how we view like our bodies and what that looks like for us and how we know that those conversations are not being had by a lot of other people and how even if we do bring it up folks just assume that oh we're just taking up space oh it's this it, it, it's not that big of a deal yada 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 when it is and folks just don't want to listen um and we're at the point especially from we we share that we work in a variety of different industries um that at the end of the day we're 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 uh disposable like we're we're fully disposable um whether it is us in in a role whether it's career or social standing that if folks are done with us then they're gonna move on to what else and it maybe i feel like for fat um trans and non-binary folks it really puts in perspective of who truly is in your corner and who's truly going to fight and advocate for you and who is using you or using the relationship that you have as a performance to gain something. Again, I'm not saying that's everyone. The folks did have some enlightenings during, like, in this time of our pandemic lives. Um, but generally, that is, I feel like, a big thing. Um, so, yeah. I think for me, the the piece, so like that was pandemic heavy and like the, we could have a whole part two that really talks about kind of the implications of the pandemic for fat trans people. And in fact, I'll put a note, um, <laughs> put a pin in that as a potential futurity conversation um, because like to kind of bundle everything y'all have mentioned, right? Like the public consciousness around the limitations of our healthcare systems became very, very obvious to pretty much the, the general public um, in ways that like TK mentioned, folks, especially in disability justice work, but then also folks of color, queer and trans folks, like we've, we've known, <laughs> like we've known 
um, for a while um, to then have folks be, well, this is egregious. This is so messy. Like this, you know, our hospitals and our clinics are falling out from underneath themselves. And it's like, yes, they are um, welcome to welcome to our frustration. Um, but I also think about the the um, legislative attacks um, in, in the form of just bills after bills after bills, you know, statewide um, statewide bills that really want to put limitations, especially on trans children. And we had a whole conversation last year for our teach-in called The Next Generation, where we really honed in on this. So I won't go, I won't go the length that we did necessarily, but I really think about some of the narratives we've shared, especially with that first question about coming into an understanding of being trans fat people, right? And how it was very much um, influenced by folks' perceptions of us even as children and how some of these bills that want to go the length of indicating that either teachers or folks that work at schools or adults in these children's lives are supposed to make determinations about disclosing information about um, their potential transness or if they're questioning their gender, right, and how much fatness and size um, will inherently play into um, either conceptions or perhaps misconceptions of a child gendered experience, um, just thinking about how, you know, other related tropes of, you know, aging kids of color to be far um, older than they actually are, um, thinking about experiences of bullying and mistreatment of like fat children and how that's going to interplay with transness for youth. And I, there's really no like end cap to that thought, but I think that's a piece too, where I just think about like little me in K through 12 with just, I've been, you know, I'm AFAB assigned fat at birth. Like I've been big forever. Um, so just like, I've always kind of had extra like shit come my way that has to come with like, anyway, I'll unpack that later. Um, but I think that's a piece too, just thinking about what are our like trans children and trans youth and queer kids coming into in this moment too, um, where there's going to be even additional monitoring and policing of their bodies in K through 12 when they may already be navigating fatness, which is just not not well treated um, in our K through 12 systems also. So end thought on that. Any other things you want to add just kind of on thinking about in this moment, anything we've already talked about before um, I ask our wrap up question before we get into audience questions. Any other thoughts? <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> I was just, I was going to say to you, RB, I think to that point around what is it going to look like stipulation wise as we fight this you know, anti-trans legislation. And I think the first thing that people talk about when you think about health or when you say, okay, can somebody make a healthy decision about their body or about what those things are going to look like? And fatness is going to come into play immediately. So when you start to have questions about, okay, maybe we have stipulations around gender affirming care. Someone needs to be healthy, a healthy young adult to get there. What are those stipulations going to look like? And what is health going to be taken into account? How does fatness play into that? And so I think to your point, fatness is completely intertwined with what that is going to be. If it's not a full out block from being able to happen, people are going to fight tooth and nail for whatever stipulation they can put to make it inaccessible. And again, it will completely be inaccessible to fat and trans people, specifically fat trans young people. I was going to say this kind of ties in. I know we probably shouldn't get into the audience questions, but I think 
a lot of what you both have brought up really ties into this notion about the narrative of, you know, what is fat, what is healthy for fat people. And I, I think it's important to note that I think a lot of, you know, I, if we want to dig into this question more, I want to make sure that I park and lock that for that, that part. But I think a lot of it is, is this notion of what, you know, when, when you said I've been fat since I, you know, have been, you know, at birth, you know, it really is this notion of, where is our mind around that word? And I think that we have to really, it's kind of the same thing with, you know, like black as a bad word, trans as a bad word. Like these words are are, are ultimately all of these different things that society has assigned to them. And so I really think that this conversation, right, is, is unpacking the ways that we look at certain words because words mean things, right? So what does healthy mean? What does fat mean? And how do we recreate or how do we rebrand, <laughs> rebrand, gotta love capitalism. How do we rebrand the ways that we talk about health, healthy for fat people? Because again, it always has a very negative connotation whenever you say both words. And I think it's imperative for us to really stop and think about how are we renaming or how are we giving voice to different words that we put into our own lexicon as we're talking about our identity. You know, I'm actually I'm actually game if we want to do some of these audience questions because I think that last question I have planned for us is a really good like wrap up question. Closing. So yeah, if, if, okay, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So like since we're already since we're already in it, the audience question we got right. I'll just read out read out for folks, and there's some other ones, but the one that we're already kind of playing with at the moment um, is the is um, quote. I would love to know if any of the panelists could speak on dealing with the narrative of it's okay to be fat as long as you're healthy, um, because they see a lot. They see that a lot, but feel like it's toxic sometimes. Um, yes, indeed it is. So what are, let's dig into that a bit more. We're already headed there with this idea of, of health being tethered to fatness, because I'm, I'm sure we got a couple thoughts. I have thoughts. I have thoughts. Um, I, so this was a phrase that I held that I internalized a lot, especially as a young college kid, because um, I already was fat going into college. And I was like, okay, like, oh, I I can be like chubby and but like I need to work out, I need to do X, Y, and Z to maintain this level, which like in the grand scheme of things, like is not is not good. It was not a good way for me to view my health. Because at the time, I was healthy. In the eyes of my doctor, at the time, I'm going to go very medical, um, I was deemed as healthy. My blood pressure wasn't high. My cholesterol was fine. All that good stuff, right? You know, mental health, not so great, but that's a different story. Um, but I internalized that a lot of like, oh, I'm getting weight, so I have to, I have to be at a socially acceptable weight to be seen as healthy. Um, and that's not, that's not true. Um, and like, for me, it was more of how I could, how I needed to change that narrative within myself of what it means to be healthy because, um, healthy for one person is very different from someone else. Um, and I think that when we, when we think about health, 
um, it is not only an individual thing with our own selves, but it's also a collective, like it's a community as well of like thinking about health and like what that means, right? And it doesn't need to be so literal, like like I just shared of like medical and body. It can mean like socially, it can mean um, with the relationships that you have, it can mean just how you view yourself into the world. Um, it could be how folks perceive you. It can be a lot of different things. And I think that the mindset of, of it's okay to be fat as long as you're healthy, um, it's like, what do you mean by fat? Do you mean like, oh, like if you're 5'10", that means, oh, do you weigh 200 pounds and, and it's socially acceptable? Or does it truly mean like, hey, I am working within my community to create a healthier narrative around fatness, around talking about fatness, around understanding fatness and understanding what that means within community as well as what it means individually that can be influenced by community to make it to make it something to create something new and to um and to go against the grain of that traditional narrative because at the end of the day that's what it really is like what what healthy means for for someone in the context of individual in the context of community is it influences each other um and so i think that that that's how i'm thinking of it and i'm also still learning of this too of like what does this mean and how does this how does healthy look um within within my own body within um within intimate spaces um with people within social spaces with people within my professional life as well and i think there's so much more i could say about it but i'm gonna leave it there something that really came up for me tk when you were talking is this idea of taking morality away from healthy and, and taking these pieces of what does it mean to be moral, good, seen, valid, cared for, you know, however people think about morality away from what it means to be healthy. And I think when we think about healthy, the thing that comes at least to my mind is a long life, life, and all of these other things but we don't, and particularly around fatness, I think we think about a long life. How do we make sure you don't have, I'm listing off the things I've been told my whole life, a stroke, a heart attack, uh, any of these pieces around what it means to be fat and how fatness impacts your health. And then I started to think about, well, what is all the life that I'm seeing taken away from me already? Like, what does it mean to have health in a community when uh, you know we see people's lives taken away instantly from a variety of different pieces, from police violence, from mass gun violence, from you know uh, carcinogens that are dropped into communities without knowledge. Like, what what does it mean to have health? And when you think about it in an individual level, we're not thinking about health at a at a larger community. What does it mean to have a healthy, thriving community? But we pinpoint it into like. How are you a good person and how are you going to have a long, healthy life without thinking about how health can be impacted by so many other things that people clearly don't care to make lots of different choices about in regards to climate change or other pieces? Um, and so I think for me, when I think about it, I really have to pull away. I, I, one of my friends that I've followed for a long time, Fat Girl Flow, Carissa, 
talked about how many people, when she posts a picture of her body are like, you're going to die. You're not going to be well. Like you're so unhealthy. You like these really terrible things. And she said, you have no idea how unhealthy I was when I had an eating disorder or when I had these other pieces and what unhealthy looks like in those spaces. And so TK, like you said, I think it's so individual about what does it mean to be healthy for you and to make sure you are well and what well means for you in your body, the way you exist, the way you navigate life. But I think we get really in a very toxic space when we start to think about size and fatness as an indicator of health in any way, shape or form. But I also don't wanna take that away from individuals who, you know, there can be people who are prescribed certain things for certain reasons, but I think that's a whole other conversation about the medical complex and other things that people learn and medical health care and other things. But, you know, just want to make room for everybody's got to define what's best for them and what is healthy to them, but also know that it has implications as well, depending on what that can look like. I just wanted to say, you really want to make a doctor upset? be above their little weight scale thing and have vitals that all look normal. Woo, they come in that office so red because they don't know what to do. They can't, it doesn't compute. Well, how are you 345 pounds, but all your vitals are okay because I'm well. Thank you so much, doctor. That to me is what healthy is. If I am living and breathing and, I, and I'm able to make sure that my, my vitals and everything are okay, that's healthy. That's it. But does it stop you from looking at your uh, doctor visit chart and looking at that big red exclamation point next to the word morbidly obese? <laughs> they get they right. get you right back with that one. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, like uh, Shane, to your point, right? The morality of it it becomes a a matter. What you know when people say that shit, right? It's about two things. It's about your relationship with food, they're making commentary on your relationship with food and your relationship with activity, neither of which are publicly available to the people making the comments, right? I'm a vegetarian and I'm fat. People can't compute, right? I'm just like, I've been a vegetarian for 17 years, but I also like potatoes, right? Sorry about it, you know? So just the relationship with these kind of material things as though you're supposed to be shamed into not having the relationship with food that you have or being motivated to do more activity as though you're not necessarily engaging in physical activity that would be socially acceptable based on whatever ridiculous standard that we're on, right? And it turns into this moral failing if you're not aligned in the way that other folks think that you should be. And it reminds me in kind of like a tangential way of the same kind of stigmatizing cringiness that comes with like the prep conversation or like the gay sex conversation around like, well, you're, you know, uh, participating in risky behavior. So if something happens to you, it's on you. And it's like, no, like there's choices that I can make with like that are informed, right? I can be informed about putting the potatoes in my body. I can be informed about what type of sexual activity I engage in and make choices, like understand that there may be consequences, right? But ultimately not to say that it is a, like, that the consequence is that I'm fat or that the consequence is that I, you know, contract something or that, you know, I'm at a place where that's a higher risk, right? All of this is high risk because we live in tumultuous times where to Shane's point, there's environmental factors that are poisoning, poisoning us. I don't care about going through the Taco Bell drive through when the water is getting polluted. You know what I mean? Just like, help me, help me understand. Um, so anyway, <laughs> help me understand. I was just going to say, 
to your point, RV, it makes me think of the book that Kate Bornstein wrote that was like, I think it was 99 ways to stay alive or 100 ways to yeah, stay yeah, alive. Yeah. And, and talking about what does it mean to stay alive and what does it mean to be okay? The other thing that I thought of, oh, the thought is leaving me, but I, I can't stand when that happens. But I was thinking really about this piece of, mm, I think it's gone, but oh. I, I was thinking it might come back if we keep talking okay. about uh, yeah, I'll leave for other space to to share my comeback. There's there is another audience question um, that came through as we started talking about this one that I think is a good one to hop into, and then I know John, there's one specifically for you, so maybe we'll do this broad one and then get you back on that one from early. So the audience question we have right now is: Do you have thoughts <laughs> about what you're not seeing, but you'd like to see from LGBTQ or specifically trans orgs slash movements to be liberatory and relevant for fat trans folks? Well, I was going to say, I think for me, as I'm processing this, I would love so one thing that I made as I've been thinking about my own journey, you know, one of the connections I made in therapy was the relationship I have with food is connected to the, it's connected to the way I grew up in terms of being poor, right? So a lot of the relationship that I have with food, I celebrate with food because growing up, that was the way my parents celebrated. When we had food, it meant that we were in a good place, right? And so there are a lot of a lot of things that I don't think we talk enough about, specifically with trans folks, right? And this notion of do we have enough or how are we making access or how do we make things accessible for folks? And the relationship folks are having with their own bodies and how they come up with, you know, and, and even too, you know, I think culturally, I wish that there were more cultural conversations about what body size looks like or what body size means for marginalized people, specifically trans Black people, right? Um, I, I, I just, I think for me, that's something that I see a lot. I think we talk a lot about the injustices or the issues that we're having, but we're not talking about them from the lens of, of, of cultural or we're not being very specific about what those experiences are outside of the purview, if that makes sense. My thought came back, so I'm going to share it before it's gone. Um, knew it would happen. So, you know, one of the things that I thought about when we think about health and doctors, you know, you you both, uh, Dr. John Paul and RB, were talking about, like, what is it like to go into the doctor's office and people share things? And I think we can bring it back to a capitalist lens of how can we treat as many people as possible in a minimal amount of time? And what is an easy blame that I can place on an individual for ownership versus having to take through and dig through what may, might be an actual cause um, for high blood pressure or for anything else. And I think about, uh, you know, my my wife is a black woman, a black queer woman, and about how often she it took her three years to get to a doctor who would listen to her and actually take into account what it means to explore somebody's health conditions and to find a root or whether it be something genetic or something interactive or something going on. And I think about that as her as a fat black queer woman as well, and how much of that is even more dismissed as a fat person and how being fat 
gives an easy excuse rather than saying, let's do this test or let's run this thing or let's get you in touch with a referral that can do these pieces. And again, this is all when you have health insurance. So a variety of other things that that go into kind of where I feel it ties back to capitalism on how much we can minimize and shrink and, you know, where fat phobia can thrive to allow other things to succeed. And so um, wanted to take that note. But then I, I think about this question in particular is, you know, I want to see people, this, this is one thing that comes to mind in particular, but I want surgeons to get rid of a BMI requirement in regards to gender affirming care. I want surgeons to get rid of it in regards to, you know, hormone replacement therapy in general surgeries, it is just, there is no reason other than the fact that surgeons don't feel comfortable because our medical health complex does not teach people how to take care of fat bodies. Surgeons are not taught how to take care of fat bodies and the nuances and the intricacies that aren't really that complex, just takes time. Like you have to learn any individual thing or any different thing to, to cater for and care for. And so I would like to see that be something that is advocated for, because I think as we continue to advocate for gender-affirming care and protecting gender-affirming care, like we talked about earlier, whether it be for youth or for adults in some circumstances, the minute they can stipulate it, they're going to find a way to make fatness a barrier from getting the care that people deserve. So I think that is critical. And I think we're starting to see it, but I think I would like to see fat people celebrated in our movements. I want to see them in the music, in the ads, in the art, in the fashion, in, you know, the conversations. I want to see the bravery and the resilience and all of the things that we are applauded for in regards to existing be rewarded. I want to see fat people get paid. I want to see fat people celebrated. Um, and so I know those are large. It's not a, a tangible thing that I can give, but I think you know, give people particularly fat, trans, black, and uh, BIPOC and indigenous people, the opportunity, disabled fat trans folks, the opportunity to uh, be celebrated, be loved, cared for, valued, and respected. Um, and that can trickle into a variety of different individual things. But if you operate with that at your core, you make diff decisions differently. So I'll pass it over to you, TK. I love this. This is so good. Uh, I'm going to pose this question with a question. Um, you know, for folks in the audience, think about, think about like, you know, queer and trans organizations, um, whether you work at one, whether you've heard of them, just think about any, any programming initiatives, intentionality of diverse staff that, that centers uh, fat trans folks. Like, just think about it. Just think about it. Like, if, if you are not the person that is intentionally doing it because you are a fat trans person, it does not exist. It, it's coming out. It, it is like both Shane and Dr. John Paul has shared. But within within these orgs, like they're not they're not talking about fatness. And if they are, it is probably internal conversations. Right. It's not shared with the masses. Right. Um, even my own. Right. Like, I don't know of programming that's happened in the past or initiatives within my office in the past that centers around trans, transness and fatness. Right. Um, and I think that's really important to name because like we have shared like the quote unquote phenomenon of fatness and talking about it 
is still new to a lot of people and not using it, talking about fatness in, in a non-derogatory way, right? That isn't just self-deprecating to someone's body. Um, and so I think that's important to name that a lot of this quote unquote nuance of fat trans folks like existing, even though we've been existing for the masses is still a newer conversation, right? And so I agree. I, I think BMI required, I think the BMI shouldn't exist in general, period. Um, as well as um how in general, like a lot of us just default to a lot of things, right? So even in the sense of like, if we break it down to as simple as like a program, like I was a programmer for like six years working in higher ed, it's it's too much. I feel like it's too much, but it's fine. But even then, like when we think about like speakers and folks that we want to bring to campus, a lot of all of a lot of them are thin and don't talk about fatness. Like, yes, they're talking about their identities as like queer and trans people, that's grand, their experience. All within various fields, but like honestly, this is even the first time that I'm seeing a conversation about fatness that is accessible for free to to do. Like I've seen it at different universities or different organizations that will have these events, but they're not open to the public. They're not free, um, and so like honestly, this is the first time that I'm seeing it that like it's readily available. It is easy to get to. Like I think even my mother is watching this right now, and I think that's great, right? Because it's it it's accessible and it's easy to do. And again, I'm not saying that, like, I know I've missed stuff. I know that there's probably been stuff in the past that I'm not trying to excuse, um, not trying to look over that there are things that are, that are, that have happened in the past that I don't know about. Right. But that's kind of what I think about is that like, this is still for, for, for the masses, a newer conversation and a newer narrative and dialogue that we're talking about. Like, and we're not talking about the body body positivity movement again that's a whole that's a whole other panel that's a whole other thing um but really having a conversation about talking about fatness itself is is new work right um and so for me what i want to see um and this is also me saying this to myself is um also having fat trans people in leadership um and having and and there and them being central uh centralized within the work right um and not us just like doing a default i think defaulting can be very harmful in a lot of different ways um but that's what i think about um what i think about a lot and it makes me reflect on as a new director um a, a new young director of an lgbt center um in a state like um in a state like california where it is more towards the quote unquote health conscious um um how i running uh, as a leader a fat trans a black fat trans leader can center fatness within my work and within the work of others so we we are nearing our um 
time. I just want to name that because unfortunately time is not just a social construct. It is real and it, it dictates um, our coexistence in space. Um, so I did want to at least pose that last question that I have um, drafted for y'all. And then Dr. John Paul, if you wanted to address the direct question to you in your final thought um, uh, wrap up, absolutely feel free to do that too. Um, I think we touched on some of the like medical ickiness and how to make those less fat shaming, but I'm sure there's more to be said. Um, so the final question that I had posed for our panelists um, that was inspired by this oh so incredible book um, called Belly of the Beast, The Politics of Anti-Fatness as Anti-Blackness um, by Deshaun L. Harrison, which is an absolute must read. Grab that. Um, uh, in the book, um, Deshaun dedicates an entire chapter, the initial chapter, um, to the idea that while, yes, um, it is critical to do the vital work of radical self-love, um, we need to move beyond self-love to break down existing structures that make us interrogate our own bodies in the first place. Um, so my final question to y'all is kind of a wrap up for us, um, is what does it look like? to move beyond self-love and into a liberated future. Well, <laughs> keeping tradition. Um, I think for me, what I'll, I'll start with is uh, thinking about kind of what does liberation mean for me? Um, I think liberation for me is, is really seeing folks or what, watching folks embody the, the process of unlearning all the things that they have learned around me, my identity, my body, the way I feel about my body, the way I talk about my body. Like I'll say this very lovingly, my podcast host, I know one time I had said something about like guilty pleasures and they stopped me and said, ah, girl, ain't nothing guilty about that. You better enjoy that. And I was like, wow, I didn't even realize like they were catching me say things that could lead to. So I think like, I, that's the kind of stuff that I think I want to, I, I want to embody, I want to see people doing the work and not relying kind of, I think, you know, both Shane, you and, you know, Trisha have both kind of said, right. It always takes a black trans uh, or a, you know, a fat trans person to kind of name the injustice. Like, I don't want to have to wait to see someone wanting to make a change or wanting to do the work because they've been called out to do it, right? Like you need to be doing your own learning the same way that I'm needing to learn all these different things that are going on around me, right? Um, around my privilege and, and, and undoing the, you know, the injustices or the pieces around that. That's the stuff I'm looking for. And to kind of address this so I can make space for other folks, you know, this, this notion of um, hearing, you know, how can the medical community make these consultations more fat friendly and less shaming. Um, I really, I, I think that there has to be some type of, and again, I, I, I say this in this mind of, you know, liberation and thinking of what a beautiful or a more inclusive world can look like for us. We have to get medical practitioners who are really, really rooted or very much kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they have to be invested in making sure that the people that they are serving truly are seen and heard and valued. And I think that, you know, I, I, I find that a lot of medical practitioners will say and do things that go, though, well, that's not my intention. Well, the, the, you know, my mom would always say the pathway to hell is paved with good intentions, right? You know, it's the impact 
that I think that that's so important. And I, I really wish that there were more medical professionals who were truly vested in this notion of, I don't want you leaving my office feeling hurt. I don't want you leaving my office feeling bad about who you are. I want to help you feel good as much as I want you to also be good, if that makes sense. And so all that to be said, I think that there's a lot of, you know, you spend all this time reading those medical books, girl, but pick up, you know, that book by Deshaun. Pick up, you know, go on Tumblr, girl. People back on Tumblr now that they leave in Twitter. Read something, right? Go to Twitter, follow, you know, go to Instagram. You know, the facts are talking. And I think that's the thing that we really need is it's more of this notion of, of self-efficacy. You shouldn't have to wait till someone tells you to do better, to do better, right? I need people doing better because it can't always be us three, us four, talking about the injustices and the things that other people are doing that continue to perpetuate the harm that we all have to navigate. So do the work. That's literally what my whole thing is. Just please do something. Oh my God, I love this. Um, I would also um, say too, is that um, that like the unlearning, yes, is, is a big part of it, not just individually, but like communally. Like if you're unlearning, but your community is not, what 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 does that say about your community, right? Um, and so I think about um I think about like the notion of how um um a lot of us have or had work in roles um that center queer and trans people and how we like how a lot of us like at least from the experience that I've had of like what does liberation look like is that one day my position doesn't need to exist, right? And I think about how what a liberated future looks like is that fat people just exist and there's no there's no hot topic, there's no controversy, none of that. But there might be controversies based on their behavior. Behavior is one thing, but them existing shouldn't be like a hot button issue and how this is not just like within the medical field it's in every single aspect of our lives and how it is everyone's responsibility to advocate for fat trans people um and it's not just a point of like oh i don't know where to start like again like dr john paul was saying you know we're talking like the fat folks are talking We've been having these conversations for not just the last 10 years, but for decades, right? Um, and it's uh, and it's on all of us, um, especially folks that are not fat trans people, to do that work and to, and to have difficult conversations because this is not comfortable. Like, it's not meant to be comfortable. And um, it's going to show some true colors of who's in community. And also, to truly center fat trans people is to give them is to give them the opportunities that they rightfully deserve right so yeah it's a big question rb and dr dr john paul tk y'all have said y'all have been so healing for me today this has truly been i mean just a transformative conversation filled with such love for me because uh, i work from home now i feel isolated in a lot of ways in, in some ways and i think it's just I don't know, to be in space with such incredible people is just such a gift and an honor. And so the first thing that comes to mind is 
there's this quote that I saw on Instagram a little while back that was like, your fat friends don't want to hear how you don't want to look like them. And I think there is a start to unpack that. I think we, I think it starts with what is scary about being fat? What are you scared of? Like, I, I mean, I think there's real repercussions to being fat in this world, but not because I'm fat, but it's because people hate fatness. And uh, I think there was another story that I think about where I had a friend who we were doing a series and they wanted to learn how to drive a stick shift. And I have a Jeep and I, I wanted my, my friend to be able to learn how to drive a Jeep. And we were talking about it and they couldn't get to a space where the Jeep was accessible for them to drive. And there was a moment where both of us internally sat there and that was because of their size to name. And they were down on themselves. And then they said, I had to take a moment and think about that it's not my fault this Jeep wasn't made for me. Like, this is my body. And I think we need to start questioning, rather than questioning ourselves, because when we turn that hatred and that fear in on ourselves, we give the rest of the world the power to dictate, you know, so many things about how we navigate our world and, and the experiences that we have. And so I think when we flip the script and turn a question and say, well, this wasn't made for me, or how do I make this accessible for me? Or who can, who can I talk to? And it shouldn't all be on an individual, but I think as we start that framework individually, um, and I think as, as thinner size or smaller size people start to interrogate what their fear is of being fat or what their fear is of fatness or what that means if you're fat, I promise you life does not, I, all I know is how to be fat. I've always been fat. No matter how many times I've tried and life's pretty damn good in a lot of ways, uh, you know, um, I think people think you're not desirable or you're not able or you're not any of these things. And then I question, what does it mean to be able and what does desirability look like? And, and when I think about liberation, I think about a lens of accessibility and I think about how do we make things accessible? And I think we learn a lot from disability politics and disability activists about how do we question what a universal design looks like, not just in the physical, but in the way that we approach medical care, how we treat people and how we lean with compassion around making things accessible and universally there and, and for people, um, which I think you can go, go and go big about like, what does it mean to be a human and how do we care for each other? And I'm not going to take us there, but I think you got to start with compassion. You got to think about how do we think about accessibility in every frame of, you know, the physical, the emotional, and how we get to a place where fat isn't scary and fat is fat and fat is majestic, magical, and creates the most beautiful experience at the intersection of so many of our identities. And so that's all I got to say on that. I think the fear piece is a biggie, right? I think that um, I think that when I think about us as trans fat people, fat trans people, um, we are receptacles for other folks' fear and anxiety and aggression around the fact that they do not love themselves enough to permit themselves to explore things beyond the rigid gender that they have established for themselves because of the same messaging we've technically all received. And the same deal with fatness, right? That their fear of looking like us, right? Um, and that we have, we are receptacles for them to blow their trauma through on a regular basis. Um, and that the lessons and the things that we have named in this space do not necessarily mean to say that we do not experience that fear or that restlessness or that frustration, um, but that we have at least overcome the initial hump of it to say, nope, I'm, I'm going to um, not just accept 
accept things um, at surface and fact and accept that my body can do more things than I was told that I could be. Again, looking past the fractals, fractals of that broken mirror and saying, actually, I see myself past this. I'm not going to replicate what's been mirrored to me as something that I'm supposed to do um, and accept that prescription. So I could do this all day. I hate that you are all three in very different places. One day we will all be in the same hotel lounge, sipping our drinks of choice and having another version of this conversation and being, you know, fat, trans, majestic humans in shared space. But this is the closest we could get today. Um, Y'all are absolute gems. When I think about the fat trans folks that are leading, leading the way, you are a a high priority and the folks that I look up to oh so much. Um, appreciate folks tuning in for this conversation today. Um, you can check out the recording pretty much, I think, as soon as we're done. Um, and uh, information about our la uh, previous teach-ins, folks' social media handles from this chat, all things um, at sgdinstitute.org. Um, very much appreciate folks tuning in. Um, appreciate our captioners for offering live captions during this session to um, at least offer one marker of accessibility for this space. Again, that universal design will get there one day. Um, so once again, thank you oh so much. Um, and I think that is a wrap. Take the Last Bite is made possible by the volunteer labor of the Midwest Institute for Sexuality and Gender Diversity staff. Our larger work is sustained by the contributions of grassroots donors. If you would like to support the life-saving work of empowering, connecting, and educating Midwest queer and trans communities, please consider setting up a monthly or one-time donation at sgdinstitute.org backslash giving or hitting that green donate button on our website's homepage. Our inbox is open for all of your insight, feedback, questions, boycotts, memes, and other forms of written correspondence. You can contact us at lastbite at sgdinstitute.org. Particular shout out to Justin, Andy, Nick, Danielle, and Michelle for all of your support with editing, promotion, transcripts, and production. Our amazing and queer as fuck cover art was designed by Adrian McCormick. <laughs>